we, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to descend upon uh, um, Jay Gilligan's for Tavern Carols. And so if you've not made your December 2nd plans, uh, here are your plans, okay? So December 2nd is Tavern Carols. It's at Jay Gilligan's this year. And uh, we'd love to have you and your friends uh, come down with the band. The band takes the stage at 8 o'clock, and they're going to sing all these great Christmas songs. And uh, the reason why we do this, okay, is that we all know people that may not uh, come to church with us when we invite them, but if we invite them to Jay Gilligan's to sing some Christmas songs, they would come. And so that's the reason why we do this. They're going to sing the gospel. They're going to hear the gospel. And then we're going to invite them to come uh, to church uh, and to kind of join, in, join us on Christmas Eve. So take these cards. They're, all, they're on the tables, on the outside the doors. Uh, we've got several of them. Take them. Let's flood the community with them. And uh, let's gather with like 500 of our closest friends, okay, uh, on December 2nd. So that's what that's about. So um, as Tanner said, we, uh, we close out our 49-part series on the Gospel of John today. And uh, it all started last year uh, when we kicked off our Advent series on Christmas. And uh, we spent all th- the Advent series, all Christmas talking about John chapter 1. And so we kind of said, well, if we're ever going to do a series through one of the Gospels, now's the time to do it because we've already got chapter 1 out of the way and we just kept rolling all year long. And so we're here 49 installments later wrapping up John uh, with John chapter 21. And as we've said for many, many Sundays, we'll say it one more time, that we've been looking at the life of Jesus and the life that he calls us to as his followers, as his disciples, as his students. And that Greek word is methetes. And the Greek word is very colorful and, uh, and it, it, it uh, paints images for people. And when people heard the Greek word methetes for student, they would immediately think of a student following so close to the teacher that they're literally covered in the dust of the teacher's sandals. And that's the call that you and I have to follow Jesus is to follow him Closely. Now, we've spent several chapters getting, uh, seeing how Jesus has been uh, getting his disciples ready to go out into the world and represent him. And, and a lot of times that, uh, that, te- or that um, readiness, is uh, that preparation is done in the form of teaching, uh, but sometimes it's done that, that preparation is done through counseling, as we're going to see today. That sometimes Jesus is the great, wonderful counselor. And that uh, as a wonderful counselor does, he uh, liberates us from the things that bind us up and keep us from being uh, the followers of Christ that he's called us to be. And, uh, And this is what we see today with Jesus and Peter. We see Jesus become this wonderful counselor. And we see three things. You know the drill. Let me give them to you up front, and then we're going to unpack them as we go along. But three things this morning that we see as we close out our study on John, on the Gospel of John. But here's what we see this morning. We see the death of Peter's problem. Uh, We see the uh, confronting Peter's past and Peter's liberation. So we see the death of his problem, confronting his past, and Peter's Liberation. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21 this morning. John chapter 21. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen for you, or you can pull it up on your phone. 
Um, but John chapter 21 as we close out our series. So let's talk about what, what is the depth of Peter's problem, okay? A um, little, little background to where we are in John chapter 21. Let's back up a few chapters. We've seen uh, Jesus be arrested. Uh, he's been uh, found guilty on some trumped up charges in this illegal court that they had. Uh, he's been beaten. He's been tortured. He's been nailed to the cross. Uh, he dies on the cross. His body is taken down, uh, is put into a tomb. Three days later, Jesus is risen. Now, he's appeared to his disciples twice, and this is the third time that he's appeared. Now, Peter, okay, what we've seen him do since John chapter 18 is he, he's been publicly confronted three times about knowing Jesus, about being one of his followers, and three times Peter has denied knowing Jesus. Now, take, take in consideration who, who Peter is. I mean, Peter is not just one of the 12 disciples. Peter is part of the close three. He's part of Jesus' inner circle of Peter, James, and John, okay? That uh, they're, they're part of the inner circle. And so we got Peter here um, who, uh, who's on the inner circle, who's on the inside, who has a special relationship with Jesus. And Peter is the only disciple out of the 12 who swore up and down that he would never deny nor abandon Jesus. He, he swore up and down he would never deny nor, or that he would abandon Jesus. Be, Peter swore that he loved Jesus more than, any, more than any of the other disciples. That Peter said to Jesus, as everyone else abandons you, Lord, I, Peter, will never abandon you. That I will follow you to prison or even death. I, Peter, am more loyal to you, Jesus, than all these other guys put together. And Peter ends up doing exactly what he swore he would never do, not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times he does this. Now, this is mentioned in all the Gospels, but the Gospel of Mark tells us something very specific about Peter's third denial. The Gospel of Mark tells us that when Peter denies knowing Jesus a third time, in order to convince the people that he really wasn't a follower of Jesus, he called down curses on Jesus. Now, in the first century, in this culture, loyalty was, a high, was high, highly valued, okay? Your loyalty was highly valued. And Peter is feeling backed in the corner. And so he starts calling down curses on Jesus. And, and when, people, when the crowd heard that, they said, hey, you're one of his guys. You're one of his disciples. You've been following him around. And Peter is like, no, I haven't. And I'm denying it again. And he starts raining down these curses on Jesus. That really kind of convinced everyone that Peter was not a follower and did not know Jesus. And so here's the deal. We need to stop for a moment. Have you ever thought about how in the world could Peter ever forgive himself? How in the world could Peter ever get past this? This is the depth of his problem. And, and, and maybe there are some of us here today that can relate because we've been carrying around a big load of regret. 
We've been carrying around a, a, a pretty big load of guilt and shame uh, over something in our past that we just can't seem to get past our past. And that's where Peter is at. I mean, he's struggling. He's done the unthinkable. And that's the depth of his problem. And then we see Jesus come in as this wonderful counselor and we see him confront Peter's past. Let's look at, uh, let's, uh, look at verses 15 through 17. Um, and, and this is brilliant of Jesus and we'll talk about why in just a moment. But when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he, he said, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Underline that. We're going to come back to that. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So what Jesus is doing, he, he, he's taking on the role of a counselor. And remember, he's a wonderful counselor. And Jesus is making Peter painfully retrace his steps. Now, now notice that Jesus is not saying, oh, you know, Peter, listen, I'm God and I'm a God of love and everybody makes mistakes and the air is human. So, you know, Peter, we're just going to let this one slide and, and because I accept everybody. Je- Jesus doesn't. Say that. that. That would be called cheap grace. And cheap grace never changed anyone. Cheap grace never saved anyone. That cheap grace is when you and I believe in a loving and gracious God that does not take sin seriously. And because sin is no big deal to God, it's no big deal to us. That's what cheap grace is. That we have this this view of God that he's all about love and all about acceptance and all about, you know, just, uh, you know, just passing over things and looking the other way and sweeping under the rug and 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 that uh, and that uh, sin is no big deal. And if that's our view of God, then sin will not be a big deal to us. There's even some people who don't even like using the word sin. It's too strong. It's too harsh. It's a turnoff. And there's some churches that won't even talk about sin. In fact, you know, some people say, hey, if you won't talk about sin, your church will grow. I'm sure it would. But we got to take sin seriously because God takes sin seriously. But there are some people like, no, 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 no. Let's not call it sin. Let's come up with a, let's come up with a different word. Let's, I know. Let's call it a mistake. Let's just say, you know, we made a mistake and, or let's call it an oopsie. That even sounds better. Oopsie. You know, we just, oops, you know. Um, problem is, oops, we did it again and we keep doing it again. Because we don't take sin seriously. But a God who thinks sin is no big deal is a God who thinks love is no big deal. And the God of the Bible is a holy and just and pure and righteous God. And the only way a pure and holy and righteous and just God can forgive us is through expensive and costly grace. So let's just stop for a moment. Who, who pays that cost? Who, who is it expensive to? It's expensive and costly to God. That's who it's expensive to and costly 
that Jesus going to the cross in our place, taking on divine judgment and, and, and wrath and condemnation for us is the only grace and love that will save us and change our lives. So grace does not come cheap. It's expensive. And to the degree that you and I see our sin in the darkest of colors, to that degree we will see God's love and grace and mercy in the brightest of colors. And that's how our lives are changed. So, so, so Jesus is being this, this wonderful counselor and he's painfully re helping Peter retrace his steps. So, so look, what, look what he does, okay? Uh, back up to verse nine. So the disciples, they've been out fishing. They come to the shore. Uh, verse nine says, um, and when they landed, they saw a fire burning, uh, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, now this is brilliant because Jesus understands the power of the senses, right? He understands that the power of, of smell and sight and taste and, uh, and, and touch and, and so, and, and, and to hear. And, um, it, you know, you know, you know how it is like when you, um, uh, when somebody has a fire in the neighborhood and it's cold and that you can smell somebody's fire in their fireplace, oh, it just smells so good, you know? Or, or you know, when you, when you smell David's barbecue, just kind of wafting through the neighborhood, it kind of makes you want to crave barbecue, you know? It just makes you want to eat barbecue. And, and so the power of the senses, is, it, it's so powerful. And Jesus understands this and, and what, he has this fire built on purpose, because he wants to bring Jesus, he wants to bring Peter back around a fire. Because he doesn't want Peter for the rest of his life to relive his worst moment every time he's around a fire. I mean, could you imagine what kind of guilt and shame that would bring Peter if every time for the rest of his life he smells smoke, he thinks about denying Jesus. Because if we read the accounts of Peter denying Jesus, he did it around a fire. He was standing around a fire and a group of people in the courtyards. He's kind of within earshot, maybe kind of see what's going on. And somebody says, hey, you're one of his followers. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. I'm not one of his followers. Goes around another fire. He's kind of standing, it's a cold night. Standing, you know, he still kind of wants to keep an eye on Jesus. He says, hey, I recognize you. You're one of his guys. He goes, no, I'm not one of his guys. Moves on to the next fire. Hey, I know you. You, you, I've seen you with him. And he's like, I've never seen the man in my life. And he starts throwing curses down on Jesus. He does that around a fire and here Jesus in intentionally brings him around a fire so that for the rest of his life every time Peter smells smoke in his nostrils, every time he's warming himself around a fire, Peter doesn't have to relive the worst failure of his entire life. It's brilliant. And it's so loving. So loving what Jesus is doing here. Another thing that Jesus does is Peter, he denied knowing Jesus three times. And so how many times does, does Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three times. Look, look at verse 15. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, subtly, and, and it was probably just Jesus and Peter who knew what Jesus was talking about. It was like, hey, Peter, remember that time when you said you loved me more than all these guys? Do you love me more than all these guys now? And Peter says, you know that I love you. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Of course it hurt. I mean, it, it, it's painful to have to relive our trauma. This is hard on Peter, but, but it was also therapeutic. That's why when you go see a good counselor, they guide you and they lead you through your trauma. They lead you back to that pain. Now, I, I get it, okay? A lot of us have gotten mad at a counselor and never gone back. I won't make you raise your hand, okay? But I'm raising my hand. I've gotten mad at a counselor, all right? And, you know, well, why'd you quit going to see that counselor? I got mad at him. Well, why'd you get mad at him? Well, he made me do this. Made me relive this. Made me be pointed out this. Well, how long has it been since you've seen that counselor? Five years. I'm not going back. You know, my friend said, hey, you're still reliving that trauma that he wanted you to revisit, whether you like it or not. You're just doing it in a different way. But it's painful to relive our pain in our past, in our trauma. But we have to revisit the trauma to get past the trauma. That's why counselors will tell you to write. Writing, journaling is good therapy. Seeing a counselor and going back. So we all need a counselor, okay? If, if you don't think you need a therapist or a counselor, then you need a counselor or a therapist to tell you you need a counselor or a therapist or a good friend. But we all need a counselor. We all need a therapist. And, and we need to make the commitment when we, next time we go and make an appointment, to go see a counselor, we need to maybe book two or three appointments at the same time and pay for them up front so we go back. There's too many times we get mad and we don't go back, but, but the counselor is being a good counselor and he's leading us through this trauma and that's what Jesus is doing for Peter. Three times he denied knowing Jesus. Three times Jesus just goes for that trauma, goes for that pain. Like a surgeon, I wanna get this out of you. I want to get this tumor out of you, Peter, so you don't replay this for the rest of your lives and it jacks your life up and everybody around you. Because here's the deal with trauma and pain. If we don't deal with it, and I know, hey, guys, we like to compartmentalize it, right? We're just going to compartmentalize it, and there, it's buried, it's locked in cause, I never have to deal with it again. But guess what? If we don't deal with it, five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years down the road, it's going to rear its ugly head and it's going to wreak havoc on our lives and the lives of the people who love and depend on us the most. So let's deal with our trauma, okay? Let's deal with our pain now through the grace of Jesus and through the gospel of Jesus Christ and let's be healed from it so that so it doesn't impact us down the road. But what, what Peter, what Jesus is doing, it's brilliant and it's hard work. We gotta do the hard work. And Jesus still does this with us. He does it through his word. He, he, he does it through the Holy Spirit. He does it through, uh, through prayer. He does it through gospel-centered friends and he does it through gospel-centered counseling. Let me just say this and then we'll move on to our final point. Listen, I know the holidays can trigger a lot of things in us. Lost loved ones, regret, pain from the past. It capitalizes and magnifies loneliness. I get it. And we, please, please, please find a counselor. We, we have one. We're about to add another here at Gospel City Church. In Gospel City, we are committed to mental health, and we will pay for the first three visits. 
when you use our counselor. And it's right across the street at our church office. And if you need the number of that counselor, we would love to give it to you. And for you to be able to use, utilize this ministry of Gospel City Church, or you or somebody you know, um, we would make that, we'd make that same offer to. So let's, let's do what Peter does, and let's, let's revisit, and let's get over it so we can move through it to get over it and not compartmentalize it. So, so Jesus, he confronts Peter's past, and then we see Peter's liberation. So, so Peter's liberation comes to the same way our liberation comes, and it comes to repentance and submission, that, that Peter shows, uh, Jesus shows Peter the depth of his sin and Peter offers no excuses, right? Second Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul writes this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads to no regret. No regret, that's what repentance does. But worldly sorrow brings death. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, I love you. Jesus says one more time, do you love me? And all Peter says is, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He offers no excuses. Now, now Peter, feeling a little backed, you know, his back is against the wall, maybe kind of responds or reacts maybe the way we react. You know, Peter could have said, Lord, listen, I've already told you that I loved you, right? I've already answered your question. Are you deaf? I don't think you're deaf, Jesus. All right, you heard me. So why do you keep bringing it up? Why do you keep rubbing my face in it, okay? I feel bad enough. You don't understand, Jesus. I mean, you, you weren't there. I mean, you were, but you weren't with me, all right? And my back was up against the wall and my life was on the line for Christ. I'm sorry, for Pete's sake, Peter didn't say any of that. Peter just receives what Jesus has to say and repents. And repentance brings about liberation. Peter also didn't grovel. He, he, he didn't say, oh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst human. I'm the worst disciple out of all of, I mean, maybe Judas is the worst, but I'm, I'm right there with him. Why do you want to spend any time with me, Jesus? I don't know. You see, worldly sorrow that the Apostle Paul talked about, it, it, it's self-pity. It's self-pity. It's being upset because we got caught. Right, teenagers? All right. It's not really that you're sorry. You're just sorry you got caught. All right. I mean, at least that's how it was when I was a teenager. How it is now, I guess, too, with my... But, uh, but we're sorry because we got caught. And, we, and, we, and then when we, religion takes, in, takes over and says, oh, we got to do all these good things to get back into good graces with God or get back into good graces with our parents. But real repentance is all about God. That we have sorrow because we have grieved God. We have sorrow because we have sinned against God. We have sorrow because we have treated his gift of grace so cheaply. And when Peter responds with repentance, Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. In other words, he says to Peter, who denied knowing him three times, Peter, I want you to lead my church. And here's the secret. Here's the key that we all need to watch. Listen, don't miss this. What Jesus is saying to you and what he's saying to me 
is that the people who make the best followers of him are people who have plunged their biggest failures into his grace. When we take, we all have failed. We all have failed miserably. It's called sin. And when we take our failure and we plunge it into the depths of his grace, it is liberating. Because what it is, is, oh, I've failed you. I've done this. And, and Jesus says, let's plunge that into my grace. That's not who you are. You are chosen. You are accepted. You are approved. You are forgiven. You are a child of the one true king. That is who you are. You are not condemned. Now go free. Go forward. Go and sin no more is what Jesus says to us. See, that, 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 I mean, that's what a good parent does, Right? I mean, your kid, you know, blows it and, you know, feels terrible and, you know, he sinned or whatever. And, you know, as a parent, you, you come around them and you say, hey, listen, I know that's not who you are. That's not who you are. This is, this is who you are. These are all the things I love. I love that you are so creative and inclusive and that you're a leader and, 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 that, and, and that you're your own person. I, I love that you're athletic, but I'm proud of who you are, son. I'm proud of who you are, daughter. I, I, yes, I love the, your accomplishments, but more than your accomplishments, I'm proud of you. Now, you're still grounded, but I love you. That's not who you are, so let's not do that anymore. That's what a loving parent does who understands I'm a failure and I plunge my failures into the grace of God. Now I can be a conduit of the grace of God to those around me. That's what makes us, that's what makes us really good teachers and really good coaches and accountants and, and, and supervisors and employees and moms and dads and husbands and wives. It's people who understand I'm a sinner and I'm saved by grace and I'm gonna plunge my sin and my failures deep into the grace of God and I'm gonna come out liberated. The gospel says when we admit that we are weak, when we're sinners saved by grace, we will see who God is and what he has done for us and our hearts will well up with gratitude. But Peter also gains liberation by he submits his life to the authority of Jesus. <clears throat> and we're going to close with this thought. Verse 18, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, he's talking to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus is telling Peter, hey, you're going to die for your faith in me. And this was a metaphor for crucifixion, but it was also a metaphor for how you and I are to live our lives as followers, as methetes. And we're to follow him so closely that we just keep our eyes on Jesus and we follow him. And we take up our cross, the cross of Jesus daily. In other words, we maximize our lives for his kingdom and for the sake of others. That, that we maximize our, our time and our talents and our, and our resources and we maximize those, not, not just for ourselves, but we maximize them for, for, for God, for his kingdom and for the sake of others who are in need around us. 
And just to show you how human and inconsistent Peter is, Jesus just says this to Peter and Peter's looking around at the 12 disciples and he sees John and he says, what about him? What about him? Is he going to die too? And, And Jesus says, verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what difference does that make to you? You just follow me. You Don't look at other people. Just keep your eyes focused on me. And I will give you enough each day to follow me. So let's let's not compare ourselves to others. Let's just focus on God. Loving and serving, caring for those around us. Being consistent in his word to pray, pour out our hearts to the Lord. And it's not just give me and give me and do this, but it's, God, this is what I'm I'm going through. And God, not my will, but your will be done. To come and listen to our brothers and sisters sing about who God is and, and what he's done to remind us when we're down and we're not, we don't really feel it today or we're not really sure. Oh yes, remind me of who God is and what he's done for me. May at the end of our lives, may every single one of us be found covered in the dust of his sandal. And may at our funerals, they be wiping our face, just be covered with the dust because we've been following Jesus so close.